welcome to Bun Bun Storytime, a podcast where I tell stories to listeners. In today's episode, I'll continue on my Greek mythology series where I left off. Better make sure to stay at a safe spot away from windows, because Zeus is about to get a little lightning scary. So join me as I hop in. Zeus kills everyone. You want scary? Think about this. Zeus was the god of law and order. The guy who threw random lightning bolts when he got angry and couldn't keep his own wedding vows. This. This was the guy in charge of making sure kings acted wisely, councils of elders were respected, oaths were kept, and strangers were given hospitality. That being said, I guess Zeus wasn't all bad. I mean, sometimes he would show up at mortals' homes disguised as a wanderer just to see whether folks would let him in and offer him food. If you treated the visitor kindly, good for you! That was your duty as a Greek citizen. If you slammed the door in his face, well, Zeus would be back later with his lightning bolts. Just knowing that every traveler or homeless person might be Zeus in disguise kept the Greeks right on their toes. Same thing with kings. Zeus was the god of kingly power, so he watched over mortal rulers just to make sure that they didn't abuse their position. Obviously, a lot of kings got away with terrible things. Probably because Zeus was busy chasing some girl and didn't notice. But there was always a chance that if you did something really evil or stupid, Zeus would bring down the godly thunder and lightning and just blast you right off your throne. Example? How about the one time he decided to destroy the entire human race? I don't even know why. Apparently humans were behaving badly. Maybe they just weren't making the proper sacrifices, or they didn't believe in the gods, or they were cursing a lot, and just maybe they were driving over the speed limit. Whatever. Zeus got angry and decided to destroy the entire race. I mean, come on. How bad could the humans have been? I'm sure they weren't doing anything humans haven't always done. But Zeus decided enough was enough. He acted like one of those teachers who lets you get away with stuff all semester, and then one day, for no apparent reason, just decides to crack down just way too hard. Like, alright, that's it! Everybody is getting detention right now! The whole class! Like, come on, please. There are options between doing nothing... And going nuclear. Anyway, Zeus called the gods together and broke the news. Humans are disgusting, he cried. I'm going to destroy them. The throne room was silent. Finally, Demeter said, Wait, all of them? Sure, Zeus said. How? asked Ares. The god of war had an eager gleam in his eyes. Fire? Lightning. We could get a bunch of chainsaws and bug bombs, Zeus said. We set a few of those babies off, leave the world for a few days, and... No one has bug bombs yet, Hera pointed out. Oh, right. Zeus frowned. Well, how about a flood? I'll open the skies and unleash torrents of rain until all the humans drown. Poseidon grunted. Wait, 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 no. Floods are my department. You can help, Zeus offered. But without humans, 
Hestia asked from the hearth. Who will worship you, my lord? Who will build your temples and burn your sacrifices? I'm sure we'll think of something, Zeus said. This isn't the first race of humans, after all. We can always make more. Now, according to the old stories, this was technically true. The humans back in Cronus' time had been called the Golden Race. Supposedly, they'd all died out and been replaced by the Silver Race. The ones in the early days of Mount Olympus were called the Bronze Race. What made those humans different from us? There are a lot of stories, but the main thing is, they died off, and we haven't. Yet. Besides, Zeus continued, a flood is good. We need to give the earth a proper power washing once in a while, just to get rid of all the grime off the sidewalks. Reluctantly, the gods agreed to his plan, but many of them had favorite humans, so they secretly sent warnings in the form of dreams or omens. Because of this, a few people survived. The most famous were the king and queen of Thessaly in northern Greece, a guy named Deucalion and his wife Pyrrha. Deucalion was human, but his dad was the titan Prometheus, the dude who'd brought men fire and was now chained up on a mountain far away, getting his liver pecked out by an eagle. I'm not sure how Prometheus managed to have a mortal kid with all the other stuff he had going on. You can't exactly join a dating service when you're chained to a rock and being tortured. But whatever the case, Prometheus somehow heard about Zeus's plan, and he still had a lot of love for humanity. He especially didn't want his own son Deucalion to drown, because, well, he was a good guy. He was always respectful to the gods, and treated his subjects very well. So Prometheus warned him in a dream. Flood coming! Gather supplies in the biggest chest you can find! Hurry! Deucalion woke up in a cold sweat. He told his wife about the dream, and she remembered a huge oak chest that they kept up in the attic. They grabbed some food and water from the kitchen and ran upstairs, warning all their servants along the way. Get your families! There's a flood a-coming! Seek higher ground! Unfortunately, most of the servants just didn't listen. The king and queen were getting old, so most of the servants just figured they'd gone senile. Deucalion and Pyrrha emptied all the old clothes and knickknacks out of the chest to make room for their provisions. The rain started to fall. Within minutes, the sky was nothing but sheets of gray water. Lightning flashed. Thunder shook the earth. In less than an hour, the whole kingdom of Thessaly was swallowed by the flood. Deucalion and Pyrrha closed their chest full of supplies, latched themselves to the lid, and floated right out the attic window. It wasn't a comfortable ride, shooting up and down 40-foot swells while the storm raged, chunks of debris swirled past, and the entire world was drowning. The king and queen got salt water up their noses like a million times. But the wooden chest acted like a life preserver and kept them from going under. After what seemed like forever, the rain stopped. The clouds broke and the sun came out. The flood slowly receded and Deucalion and Pyrrha landed in their chest on the slopes of Mount Parnassus. At this point, you may be thinking, hey, a guy escapes a big flood and floats to safety while the rest of the human race drowns? Wasn't there another story like that? You know, some dude named Noah? Yeah, well, every ancient culture does have a flood story. I guess it was a pretty massive disaster. Different people remembered it different ways. Maybe Noah and Deucalion passed each other on the sea and Deucalion was like, An ark! 
Two animals of every kind. Man, why didn't we think of that? And his wife, Pyrrha, would be like, Because they wouldn't fit in this chest, you moron. But I'm just guessing. Finally, the water sank back into the sea, and the land started to dry out. Deucalion looked around at the empty hills of Greece and said, Great, what do we do now? First, Pyrrha said, We make a sacrifice to Zeus and ask him to never do this again. Deucalion agreed that it was a good idea, because another flood would really suck. They sacrificed all their remaining food, along with the chest, in a big fire, and pleaded with Zeus to spare them from any more power washings. Up on Olympus, Zeus was pleased. He was surprised that anyone had survived, but since the first thing Deucalion and Pyrrha had done was honor him, he was really cool with that. No more floods! His voice boomed from up above. Because you are pious people and I like you, you may ask any favor, and I will grant it. Deucalion groveled appropriately. Thank you, Lord Zeus. We beg you. Tell us how to repopulate the earth. My wife and I are just way too old to have kids, and we don't want to be the last humans alive. Let the humans come back, and this time they'll behave. I promise, the sky rumbled. Go to the Oracle at Delphi. They will advise you. It was a long distance, but Deucalion and Pyrrha walked all the way to the Oracle. As it happened, the people of Delphi had been warned about the flood by a bunch of howling wolves. Which god sent the wolves, I'm not too sure of. But the people had climbed the tallest mountain near Delphi and survived the flood. So now they were back in business, dispensing prophecies and whatnot. Deucalion and Pyrrha went into the cave of the Oracle, where an old lady sat on a three-legged stool shrouded in green mist. Oh, Oracle, Deucalion said, please tell us how to repopulate the Earth. And I don't mean by having kids, because, gosh, we're just way too old for that nonsense. The Oracle's voice was like the hissing of snakes. When you leave this place, Cover your heads and throw the bones of your mother behind you as you go. And do not look back. The bones of my mother? Deucalion was outraged. She's dead and buried. I don't carry her bones around with me. I just announce the prophecies, the oracle muttered. I don't explain them. Now, shh! Deucalion and Pyrrha weren't very satisfied, but they left the oracle. How the heck are we supposed to throw the bones of our mother behind us? Deucalion asked. Pyrrha wasn't sure, but she covered her head with a shawl, then gave her husband an extra scarf so that he could do the same, just as the oracle had ordered. As they walked away, heads bowed, Pyrrha realized that with her shawl over her head, she could only see the ground right in front of her, which was littered with rocks. She froze. Husband, I have an idea. The bones of our mother. What if the prophecy doesn't literally mean the bones of our mother? It might be a... What do you call those things? Limericks? No, a limerick is a naughty poem, Deucalion said. I think you mean a metaphor. Yes! What if the bones of our mother is a metaphor? 
okay, but a metaphor for what? The mother of everything. Mother Earth, Pyrrha suggested. And her bones? Could mean these rocks, Deucalion cried. Wow, you're so smart. That's why you married me. So Deucalion and Pyrrhus started picking up the rocks and chucking them over their shoulders as they walked. They didn't look behind them, but they could hear the rocks crackling apart like eggs as they hit the ground. Later, the king and queen found out that each rock had turned into a human. When Deucalion threw one, it turned into a man. When Pyrrha threw one, it turned into a woman. So Zeus let the human race repopulate itself. I'm not sure if that means we're still in the bronze race or if we're the stone race, or maybe the rockers. Either way, Zeus was glad to let the humans back into the world, because without them, he wouldn't have any pretty mortal girls to chase after. Bun Bun's Storytime is brought to you in part by Radio Public. Radio Public is free, easy to use, and helps listeners like you find and support shows like mine. When you listen to my show on Radio Public, everyone benefits. Zeus was pretty powerful enough to handle anything. Well, almost anything. The only time he got schooled, fooled, and totally tooled was when he faced a monster called Typhus. Now, Typhus was always shrouded in storm clouds, so there's no clear depiction on what he looked like. I mean, he was big for sure. Like, so big that his head seemed to scrape the top of the sky. The most famous descriptions say that his shape was more or less humanoid from the waist up, but his legs were like the bodies of boa constrictors. On each hand, he had a hundred fingers that were tipped with serpent heads, each of which had fiery eyes and spit venom, so that when he got mad, he just showered poison all over the place. He had massive leathery wings, long matted hair that smelled like volcanic smoke, and a face that was so constantly shifting and changing that it seemed like he had a hundred different faces, each one uglier than the last. Oh, and he breathed fire. Did I mention that? Typhus was born and raised in the pit of Tartarus. The spirit of the pit, the primordial god Tartarus? Yeah, that was his dad. His mom was Mother Earth. I guess that explains why Typhus was both big and evil. His parents must have been so proud. Typhus had a lovely wife named Echidna down in the pit. Okay, she wasn't really lovely. She was a hideously foul she-monster. But they must have gotten along, because they had lots of kids together. In fact, just about every horrible monster you can think of was a child of Typhus and Echidna. Despite this, one day Typhus got restless and decided to leave his comfy home in the pit of eternal damnation. Honey, he told Echidna, I'm going upstairs to destroy the gods and take over the universe. I'll be back by dinner. This is your mother's idea, isn't it? Echidna complained. She's always telling you what to do. You should stay home. The Hydra needs his father. The Sphinx needs a dad. Typhus shuddered. It was true that Mother Earth was always goading him to destroy the gods. Gaia hated the gods ever since they defeated the Titans. But this trip was Typhus's idea. He needed a vacation from his monstrous kids and his she-monster wife. Taking over the universe sounded like just the ticket. I'll be back, he promised. 
If I'm late, don't wait up. So the storm giant Typhus broke into the upper world and began destroying everything in his path. It was pathetically easy. He ripped up a mountain and smashed a city. He summoned a hurricane and drowned an entire island. Is this all you've got? Typhus yelled toward Mount Olympus, far in the distance. Where are all the gods? The gods, in fact, were assembling for war. Until they saw the size of Typhus, how he raged across the earth, flattening nations, blow-torching forests, turning the oceans into poison with his serpent-headed fingers. Uh, Poseidon gulped. Uh, that guy is huge. Massive, said Athena, for once agreeing with the sea god. I do not like these odds. Guys, Zeus protested, there are twelve of us and only one of him. We defeated the Titans. We can totally do this. Actually, Zeus was shaking in his sandals. He wanted to run too, but he was the king of the gods, so he had to set a good example. Well, come on, he said, hoisting his best lightning bolt. Charge! The gods jumped on their flying chariots and followed him into battle. They yelled, Charge! But they were so nervous it sounded more like, Charge? When Typhus saw them coming, he experienced something he'd never felt before. Joy? The gods were ridiculously tiny. They would be so easy to destroy that it made him giddy. He could already imagine himself taking over Zeus's throne on Mount Olympus and ruling the universe. Though, he'd probably have to get a bigger throne. Die, immortals! He bellowed, which wasn't a logical challenge since technically immortals can't die. But I guess Typhus was planning to blast them into tiny pieces of dust and sprinkle them into the abyss, which is pretty close to being dead. Anyway, the storm giant spewed poison and belched fire and rose to his full height so his head scraped the sky. Clouds of darkness swirled around him. The ground melted and the seas boiled around his reptilian feet. The gods changed their war cry to, Run! Help! And Mommy! Everybody except Zeus turned and fled. It wasn't their finest moment. Some stories say they turned into animals to hide from the giant's wrath. One story even claims that they hid in Egypt. While they were there, in the form of animals, they gave rise to all those Egyptian myths about animal-headed gods. I'm not sure what the Egyptians would say about that, seeing as their myths are thousands of years older than the Greek ones, but that's what the Greeks say. Whatever the case may be, Zeus was left alone to face Typhus. The god of sky screamed after the fleeing Olympians. Are you serious? Get back here, you wimps! But his voice was drowned out by the laughter of Typhus. Poor little Zeus, all alone. You'd better flee too, tiny god, before I smash you like an ant. Now Zeus had changed into an ant once before to woo one of his girlfriends, so he kind of had a fondness for ants. Typhus couldn't go around insulting ants like that. Anger gave him courage. Oh, you're going down, big boy, Zeus yelled. He charged in for the kill. He threw a lightning bolt that impacted Typhus's chest like a 50-megaton hydrogen bomb. The storm giant staggered backward, but he didn't fall. Zeus blasted the giant again and again. The explosions fried the air, vaporized the water, and blistered the surface of the earth. But still Typhus kept coming. 
The giant swiped at Zeus's chariot and smacked it right out of the sky. As Zeus fell, Typhus snatched him up in a snake-fingered hand and began to squeeze. Zeus changed his size, growing as large as he possibly could, which was still tiny compared to Typhus. Zeus struggled to free himself, but even the god's massive strength was just no use against the giant. Let me go, Zeus bellowed. Sure, Typhus growled, belching fire so close to Zeus's face, it burned his beard off. But I can't have her making trouble, so I need a security deposit. Oh, what? Typhus's snaky fingers wrapped around Zeus's arms and legs. The snake heads sank their poisonous fangs into his forearms and his calves and... Okay, prepare yourself. This is going to be kind of gross. They ripped out Zeus's tendons. What does that mean? Well, the tendons hold your muscles to your bones. It's kind of like the body's natural duct tape. And without duct tape, nothing works. Typhus yanked out the immortal sinews, glistening white slimy cords of godly connective tissue. I did warn you it was gross. And Zeus went as limp as a doll. He couldn't move his arms or his legs. He was completely helpless, and in so much pain he couldn't even see straight. There I go, Typhus yelled. Aaron, I'll just take these lightning bolts that make excellent toothpicks. The giant grabbed the lightning bolts that were hanging off Zeus's belt. Then he bent down and picked up the extra ones from the wrecked chariot that lay smoking on a nearby island. That's good. Now you're free to go. You can enjoy watching me destroy Olympus and taking over the world. Then I'll come back later and step on you. Typhus tossed Zeus aside like a clod of dirt. The lord of the universe landed in a crumpled heap on the side of the mountain and whimpered. Ow. Typhus stormed off, heading for Olympus, with Zeus's lightning bolts and gross sinews safely tucked into his pouch. Or man purse, or whatever the fashionable evil storm giants were wearing back then. Well, gang, at this point, things weren't looking too good for the gods. Or for humans, either. Or for anything that lived on the face of the planet, for that matter. Zeus was lying on a mountainside, helpless in agony, watching as Typhus marched off to destroy Mount Olympus. Zeus thought, man, why did I want to be king? This bites. Meanwhile, the other gods were hiding, and Typhus raged across creation, almost unopposed. An army of Poseidon's sea monsters and whales did try to stop him, but Typhus just kicked them out of the way and poisoned their waters. Some of the sky gods tried to fight him, the spirits of the stars and Selene, the titan of the moon. In fact, the Greeks believed that the scars and craters on the moon were left over from when Selene rode the moon chariot into battle. Nothing helped. The seas kept boiling, whole islands were destroyed, the sky turned into a red and black boiling mass. Every so often, Typhus would stomp on the earth, open a huge crevice, and reach inside to pull out some magma-like yolk from the inside of an egg. He'd throw fiery globs of lava all over the earth, setting fields on fire, melting cities, and writing burning graffiti on the sides of mountains like, Zeus sucks, and Typhus was here. He would have made it to Mount Olympus, no problem, but fortunately a couple of gods decided to circle back and see what happened to Zeus. They weren't the bravest gods, they were just the sneakiest. One was Hermes the messenger, who could fly very fast and was very good at staying off the radar. The other was a minor satyr god named Ajapan, who had furry legs and hooves like a goat, 
and generally looked like a regular satyr, except that he was immortal. Ajapan had managed to hide from Typhus by turning into a goat with the tail of a fish. Why such a weird disguise? Maybe he panicked. Not really sure. Anyway, he dived into the sea and escaped. Now, he was feeling bad about being a coward, so he hitched a ride with Hermes, and they flew around until they spotted Zeus lying in a heap. Oof, Hermes said when they landed. What happened to you? Zeus wanted to chew them out for running away and leaving him to fight Typhus alone, but he was in way too much pain, and he needed their help too badly. He could barely speak, but he managed to tell them about the missing lightning bolts and the sinews that Typhus had ripped out of his arms and legs. Ajapan looked like he wanted to throw up. So we're finished. Game over. We can't give up, Zeus said. I need my tendons and my bolts back. If I can get the drop on Typhus, hit him at point-blank range, I think I can take him out. But how to get back my weapons and my sinews? He stared at the bandpipes hanging around Ajapan's neck. Bringing a musical instrument with you into battle might sound silly, but Ajapan always carried his pipes. He had a reputation for playing very well. Suddenly, Zeus got a crazy idea. He remembered how he'd tricked Kronos into barfing up the other Olympians years ago, how he'd posed as a cupbearer and won the Titans' praise by singing songs and dancing. When strength doesn't work, Zeus said, trickery might. I like trickery, Hermes said. Zeus told them his plan. Fortunately, Hermes was a fast flyer. He picked up Ajapan and ragdoll Zeus and zipped at top speed around Typhus's path of destruction. The gods landed on the Greek mainland near the foot of Mount Olympus, right where the storm giant would have to walk. Hermes deposited Zeus in a nearby cave, where the lord of the sky would have to wait like a useless sack of rocks while the plan either failed or succeeded. Hermes hid out of sight in the nearest grove of trees, while Ajapan the satyr god made himself comfortable in a wide meadow, where he couldn't possibly be missed, and started playing his panpipes. Pretty soon the sky darkened, the ground shook, the air smelled like acid and poison, and the trees began to smolder. Ajapan kept playing his sweet, sweet melodies. The dark form of Typhus appeared on the horizon, like King Kong, Godzilla, and one of those evil Transformer dudes all rolled into one. He bellowed his victory cry as he approached Mount Olympus. The whole earth shuddered. Ajapan kept playing. His melodies were like sunlight in the morning and a cool stream trickling through the woods and the smell of freshly baked cookies. Sorry, I got a little distracted. Was I saying? Right. The Seder God. His music evoked everything good and beautiful. When Typhus got close, he heard the sweet song floating in the air, and he stopped in utter confusion. That doesn't sound like screaming, the giant muttered to himself. It's not an explosion either. What is that? Safe to say they didn't have a lot of music in Tartarus, and if they did, it was more along the lines of funeral dirges and death metal. Typhus finally spotted the satyr god, kicking back in the meadow, playing his pipes. Typhus could have stomped him flat, obviously, but Ajapan looked completely unconcerned. Typhus was baffled. He knelt down to make a closer look at the satyr. For a few moments, the world was silent, except for the burning wake of destruction behind the giant and the sweet music of the pan pipes. The storm giant had never heard anything so beautiful. 
It certainly was better than his she-monster wife's nagging voice and the crying of his monstrous children. Without even meaning to, Typhus heaved a deep, contented sigh, which was so powerful it parted Ajapen's hair and disturbed a song. The satyr god finally looked up, but he didn't seem scared. In fact, Ajapan was terrified, but he hid it very well, possibly because he knew Hermes was standing by ready for a quick extraction if things went bad. Oh, hello there, said Ajapan. I didn't notice you. Typhus tilted his massive head. I'm as tall as the sky, shrouded in darkness, and I have been destroying the world. How did you not notice me? I guess I was just busy with my music. Ajapan started playing again. Immediately, Typhus felt his massive heart lift with joy that was almost better than when he contemplated destroying the gods. I like your music, Typhus decided. I may not kill you. Thank you, Ajapan said calmly and went back to playing. When I destroy the gods, I will take over Mount Olympus. I will make you my court musician so you can perform for me. Ajapan just kept playing his soft, happy song. I will need good music. Typhus decided. You can write a great ballad about me. A song of how I destroyed the world. Ajapan stopped and suddenly looked sad. Hmm. If only. No. No, it's impossible. What? Typhus boomed. It really was hard for Ajapan to remember the plan and stay calm with a massive storm giant looming over him the hundreds of snakehead fingers dripping poison and glaring at him with his red eyes. Hermes is nearby, Ajapan reminded himself. I can do this. Well, I would love to write a song about you, Ajapan said, but such a majestic tune shouldn't be played on panpipes. I would need a harp. You can have any harp in the world, Typhus promised. Oh, well, that's very gracious, my lord, Ajapan said but it would need strings made from incredibly tough sinew, much stronger than cow or horse guts. Otherwise, the strings would burst when I tried to play a song about your power and majesty. No mortal instrument could withstand such a song. This made perfect sense to Typhus. Then he had a thought. I knew just the thing! Typhus set his pack on the ground and dug out Zeus's tendons. You may use this to make your harp. Oh, that's perfect, Ajapan said, though he really wanted to scream. Oh, God, that's disgusting. As soon as you conquer the universe, I will make a harp worthy of your song. Ajapan lifted his panpipes and played a few notes of happy, soft, sleepy lullaby. But that must be incredibly hard work, conquering the world, even for an incomparable being such as yourself. Ajapan played a little more, invoking a lazy afternoon, the cool shade of a tree by a brook, the gentle swinging of a comfortable hammock. Typhus's eyes began to get heavy. Yes! Tiring work, Typhus agreed. Nobody appreciates how I labor! He sat down, shaking the mountains. Destroying cities, poisoning oceans, fighting with the moon... It's exhausting! 
Yes, my lord, A. Japan said. If you'd like, I will play some music while you rest for a moment, before your tiring climb to victory on Mount Olympus. Hmm, music, Typhus's eyelids drooped. Perhaps just a short... His massive head slumped against his chest, and the storm giant began to snore. Ajapan played his sweetest lullaby to keep the giant dreaming happily. Meanwhile, Hermes snuck out and took this news, then stealthily dug around in Typhus's man purse until he found Zeus's lightning bolts. He nodded at Ajapan like, Keep playing! Then flew off to Zeus's cave. It was messy work, sticking tendons back into the sky god's arms and legs, using careful zeps from a lightning bolt to reattach everything. A couple of times, Hermes put the tendons on backward. When Zeus tried to move his arm, he slapped himself in the back of the head. Sorry, Hermes said. I can fix that. Finally, Zeus was back to normal. Being an immortal god, he healed fast. And once he held his lightning bolt again, anger surged through him, making him feel stronger than ever. Time for payback, he grumbled. What can I do? Hermes asked. Just stay out of the way, Zeus said. I can do that. Zeus marched from the cave and grew in size until he was almost half as tall as Typhus, which was huge for a god. As soon as Hermes plucked up Ajapan and flew him to safety, Zeus yelled, Wake up! He slammed Typhus in the face with a thunderbolt, which was kind of like having a star ghost supernova right up in your nostrils. Typhus fell flat on the ground, but Zeus blasted him again. The giant staggered, trying to rise. He was still half asleep, dazed and confused, and wondering what happened to the nice satyr with the pretty music. Zeus was hitting him with lightning, but that was impossible, wasn't it? Blam! Kaboom! The giant went into full retreat. Lightning crackled around him and blew the snakes right off his fingers, shredding his cloud of darkness and blinding him over and over. Before Typhus could recover, he stumbled into the sea. Zeus ripped a mountain from the earth and held it over his head. Eat, Etna, Zeus bellowed, because, well, that was the name of the mountain. He smashed Typhus under the weight of Mount Etna, and the storm giant has been trapped there ever since, rumbling beneath megatons of rock and occasionally causing volcanic explosions. So that's how Zeus saved the universe, with a little assistance from Hermes and Ajapan. I'm not sure if Hermes got a reward, but Ajapan was given a constellation to honor his bravery. It's in the shape of a goat with a fish's tail, to commemorate the form he took when he escaped Typhus. Later on, that constellation became a zodiac symbol. We call it Capricorn. And finally, hooray, I can stop talking about Zeus. <laughs>